We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. In celebration of Pride Month, our special guest today is Rhodes Perry. Rhodes is an award-winning social entrepreneur, best-selling author, and sought-after keynote speaker. Nationally recognized as an LGBTQ plus thought leader, he has 20 years of leadership experience, having worked at the White House, the Department of Justice, and PFLAG National. He serves as a CEO of Rhodes Perry Consulting, a global leadership and management consulting firm that helps visionaries and change makers build what people need most at work, psychological safety, trust, and belonging. What I appreciate most about you, Rhodes, is your ability and your willingness to share your thought leadership and encouragement in a way that's compelling, tangible, and inclusive. Welcome to ROG Roads. Uh, thank you for having me, Shannon. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, oh, great. Uh, it is a pleasure to connect with you live and to get to learn from you. I've heard so many of your podcasts and I've read your materials and you're just really a dynamic thought leader. So I really appreciate you spending your quality time with us. Let's start with some highlights of your background and diversity story. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you get started in this work? And, um, you know, I focus on the workplace because I think of my younger self and kind of, you know, entering the workforce. And and for me, you know, I'm important kind of social identities that make up part of who I am is uh, being a transgender man. Um, I'm bisexual. And I came out in college in a, a pretty conservative college. I went to Notre Dame. And um, and it was just kind of, you know, that moment of coming out of really kind of being myself and feeling really good about that, knowing that I, I would never want to live in the closet, right? And so when I was looking to, for work for my first employer, I ended up working for the Department of Justice and, and I, I was very out. And, um, and that, was, that was challenging because as much as my colleagues were supportive of me in certain, certain aspects, um, it, there were so many barriers, right? Um, trying to get even like a name badge that honored my name when I hadn't yet legally changed my name or accessing healthcare benefits or even you know, that confusion of, uh, I know where I feel safest in the restroom, but you know, how is that going to land for my colleagues? So while I was hired to do a specific job that had nothing to do with trying to make the workplace more inclusive, just by nature of being myself, I ended up doing that work as well. And it was really important for me out of self-interest, but it was also important thinking about future trans people working in government or, you know, for all of the other employers I ended up working for, just knowing, you know, I want to drop the ladder down for them so they never have to experience feeling exclusion or feeling like, oh my gosh, people haven't thought about me, you know? And so that was really important. Eventually I I got to do this work professionally and and that was um once I started to be able to do this work in a uh, in a way that I was being compensated for and valued, it was just very clear. You know, I found my purpose, and so I feel very grateful to be able to do this work every day. Mm. And it's so important that you had that personal experience in the workplace of knowing what it feels like, and then finding the solutions and 
looking for the strategies so that you could help other leaders build inclusive cultures. So I'm sorry that you experienced that personally because it sounds very painful, but it sounds like you've really like used that and leveraged that pain and made a purpose out of it. And now you're helping so many other people to learn from your lived experiences. So what are some of the things that you could teach us about transgender individuals in the workplace? I know that you are um, an expert at this, and I'm just curious about some of the statistics and the facts around this population of people and what we should know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to that, and and thank you for asking that question. Um, I think first and foremost is just remembering that we we are in the workplace, right? And I think too often, you know, I work with so many business leaders of like, oh, we understand that it's important to build gender inclusive organizations for trans people, non-binary people. You know, we just don't have any. We have we have no trans or non-binary people on our staff. You know, and these are organizations with five hundred people, a thousand people, fifteen thousand people. I'm like, you may make that assumption, right? But your workplace may not be psychologically safe for trans people to be fully themselves, right? And to share an aspect of themselves that's most precious because there hasn't been a welcome mat that's been rolled out where where there's a value add, where you've communicated. You know, we value people of of different genders, you know, and using that gender-inclusive language. So I think that's the first point, just to be aware that we we are in the workplace, we have always been in the workplace, and when we think about the future of work, you know, just kind of for your listeners to wrap their minds around this is that when we look just at Generation Z, you know, some of the older Generation Z, the Zoomers, they're already in the workplace now. You know, they're our youngest generation. And um, some stats that, these are global stats, but one in four Zoomers will expect to transition gender at some point in their life, right? So they will go through a gender transition at some point in their life. That's 25%. Um, I can't do the quick math right now in my head of how, how many generations, that's a lot of young people that have high expectations for their employers beyond just being valued for the genius that they bring to, to their jobs. They also want to be seen and recognized for all that they bring, right? And so um, there's just tremendous, there's a tremendous opportunity for employers of choice to recognize, hey, you know, this is another perspective we can bring into our workplace. So you know, I mean, even if you're a clothing company or you make shoes or, you know, there's there's so many different ways that you can create new products and services that are more inclusive of people of different genders beyond just thinking about men and women. And um, this is a big this is a big jump, I think, for a lot of folks, um, a lot of leaders who may be of of older generations where we may think about gender as something very fixed and not fluid. And younger people just have a very different relationship to gender. And rather than being scared of that, you know, what are the opportunities there? So I think that that's really important. And then a final point is just kind of recognizing that there are a lot of barriers for trans and non-binary people, particularly those folks who are BIPOC, other folks who may have different abilities, um, you know, in terms of immigration status, you know, so being trans compounded with another marginalized identity makes that, makes entering the workplace even harder, right? And so what I would say, you know, and I work with a lot of employers that lead with, we want to, we want our organizations to be anti-racist. We want our organizations to be inclusive of people of different abilities, right? Um, that work is incomplete if we're not thinking about trans people or people who hold intersectional identities that are marginalized identities, right? Um, so, so I think, and, and this is, 
other DEI leaders offer this up as well. You know, just like in marketing, when you think of an avatar of like, who is your ideal person that you market to, right? I think when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, we have to think about one person who holds multiple marginalized identities and try to have that experience from the point of being recruited into an organization up until that point of being advanced to the highest levels of leadership. At what point is there a barrier for someone who holds these different identities other than um, when we think about people who, are, who have enjoyed being at the top of organizations for a very long time? which, you know, uh, would be white, cisgender, straight men, you know, who, who hold a lot of power and influence, right? Like, how do we diversify uh, our leadership ranks? How do, we, how do we go from talking about trans people in bathrooms to boardrooms, right? And so there's a lot of opportunities there. And I think we, we really have to bring intersectionality into that conversation. When we come back, Rhodes will share insight and practical examples of using gender-inclusive language and skills to avoid unintentionally excluding anyone. With years of experience, Moz Travels is a complete disability services consulting firm. We specialize in accessible travel and tourism. Working with governments, hoteliers and businesses, ministries of tourism and travel destinations around the world, we conduct accessibility compliance audits to ensure your place of business is accessible and inclusive for everyone. We'll teach you how to increase your tourism revenues and we'll train your staff how to recruit, hire and communicate with people who have a disability. Contact us at www.moztravels.com. That's M-A-A-H-S travels.com. And we're back with more from best-selling author, sought-after keynoter, and award-winning social entrepreneur, Rhodes Perry. I think that the key point that you're making is to recognize that intersectionality and, and the way that you said it is so brilliant because it's like, at what point are they going to hit a barrier? Because it might just be at the very, at the, at the entrance door, right? So even just applying or interviewing for that role. But let's just say that some companies have rebuilt the system and have an enabled an open and welcome, inclusive hiring and recruitment strategy. But then it's like, okay, so then what? And then now that they're there, and then what? And so I think like kind of thinking of that avatar through the entire journey and anticipating where there could be barriers and proactively knocking them down is a really great thing for us to aspire to do. But then something else that you were talking about with fluidity versus the more binary uh, interpretation or, or uh, even vernacular related to gender, what are some of the things that you hear in organizations that haven't gotten there yet? You know, I do believe that everybody's on their journey. So for example, if there was somebody addressing an audience and they said, hello, ladies and gentlemen, that to me would be an example, right? So like, what are some of like the, just like the practical daily types of things that people can practice not saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> saying differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like, you know, kind of proactively, like what are some of those skills, even if it's like awkward practice of skills, you know, first, first and foremost. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head of, you know, the importance of gender inclusive language. Right. Even, you know, you use the example of welcoming an audience. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Could be, hey, guys, right? Like it's not just harming trans folks. That would that would obviously be harming women um, who are cisgender. Right. And so um, so I think it's really thinking about the language that we use that even when we're trying to intentionally include people 
we may be unintentionally excluding, we don't even know it. So I think that there are there are great resources, I'm happy to share them with you, of just examples, ways that we can use gender inclusive language. So it just in those two examples that you know we just we covered, you know, rather than addressing an audience of, hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's welcome everyone. We're so excited that you're here, right? And if you're not sure how to do it different, you know, ask with respect. You know, I really want to get this right. And so what I think I can do is this. Is that right? You know, so that's that's something just on kind of using gender inclusive language. I mean, I think also, you know, when we're we're thinking about ways of welcoming uh, trans folks. Um, is this thinking about you know when we when we're in meetings too? I mean, these are basic basic things, right? But but I don't see this happening consistently um, as leaders. You know, so for folks that are listening to your show that hold some positional power in their organization, say you're you you host or you facilitate meetings, you hold a lot of power in that space. So you can just kick it off by saying, "Hey, I'm Rhodes. I use he him his pronouns." This is my role. This is why we're here. I'd love for you to share your name. You can offer your pronouns if you want and maybe something interesting, right? Like just getting in that practice, you know, is is signaling to the group. Like there may be trans or non-binary people in the group. They may not feel that they're ready to share their pronouns, but because you did that, you signaled that you're a safer person, right? And, and it might give them hope of like, whoa, you know, that person, they've listened to this podcast. You know, they're doing, they're practicing it. Um, and I think that that's also really, really simple, right? And it costs you nothing, right? And what it does is it really opens up um, the opportunity to build relationships with people who, you know, if you're not trans, you know, with trans and non-binary people because you're you're on that path of trying to be more inclusive. So a couple of like very simple entry points. Um, and again, I can I can offer some resources for you if you want to, if people want to take it further, right? Terrific. Thank you so much, Rhodes. And I'll put that in the show notes because I do believe in self-educating and taking a look at the mass amounts of resources that are out there that people can understand more about what does this mean? What are some of the things that I am guilty of saying? How can I say something different? And then also that appropriate apology and recognition of when something has been called to our attention, to be so grateful that somebody was willing to give you that feedback and like how gracefully and authentically you receive that. I think that says a lot about the receiver and it also encourages the giver of the feedback to continue to do that. So if you don't mind, if could we just walk through some of those things? Like what does what does it mean to belong? Yeah, yeah, I love that you started there. And I think that that's really important because perhaps for some of your listeners, they might be hearing this of like, yes, belonging feels good. And this feels very elusive. You know, how do we actually achieve this in the workplace? And the good news is, uh, we can measure belonging in the workplace, and um, and I think that that's built off of some really great work that Coqual, formerly the Center for Talent and Innovation in New York City, put out in 2019. So this is a report called "The Power of Belonging at Work," and in that report, they offered they call them they call them the elements of belonging. I call them the ingredients of belonging, but it came down to four things. The first is that you're seen. So that means you're recognized, you're rewarded, you're honored for all that you bring to the workplace. So that genius of whatever it is that you got hired for that job for, plus who you are, those lived experiences that you bring into the workplace that are different from your colleagues. And that's seen as a value add, a culture add, right? So that's the first piece is being seen. Um, the second is feeling connected. 
so you have authentic and real relationships with your colleagues because you can be yourself, right? Um, so these build on each other. And then the third piece, right, is because you have these really meaningful connections that you're you're getting the support that you need to do your best work. So when you when you're asking for help when you need it, you're admitting to a mistake when you have it, when you're offering constructive feedback, you know your colleagues are going to have your back. And that, in, in essence, is psychological safety, right? As, as you can do all those things without fear of negative consequence. And then the last piece, which I love, is pride and purpose. So you have pride in working in your organization because it aligns with your personal values. And, and you all are simpatico. And that gives you purpose, right? You see how you're connected to the bigger mission and purpose of the organization. So I love all of that. And I think that's really important to, to get, like that's belonging. And what is the cost, right? Now that your listeners know, okay, this is important, we can build this at work. What is the cost of doing nothing? And the cost of doing nothing is the sting of social exclusion. And effectively what that is, is kind of the inverse of all of those ingredients. So if you're not seen at work, then you're invisible. So what does that cause? If you're not, if you're not really valued, right? Um, you know, feeling disconnected, discouraged, and all of those things kind of result in shame. What about me is wrong? You know, that I don't that I, I don't feel that my lived experiences, what I bring to work is is valued as that kind of culture ad. Um, and 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 it's expensive, you know. I mean, I go into the book of talking about I wrote the book in 2018, right? So before the pandemic, and in most of these figures, I would imagine are exponentially higher than what they once were. But you know, at that time I was writing about the epidemic of loneliness and how, you know, I mean, we feel this in our life because we're we're more connected than ever, right? I mean, we're joined, we're we're kind of talking across a continent, right? So technology is connecting us, but it's also making us feel even more isolated because we can, you know, we're on social media and we're seeing everyone's great lives, you know, and then we're thinking about the entirety of our own life and thinking, what's going on here? Because everyone's living this glamorous life and here's me, you know, having some challenges. So so that stuff is um is is the reality that's happening kind of inside the workplace and beyond. And what's the opportunity of the workplace? you know, to to disrupt that. And, and the workplace can be a place where we are able to break through this kind of feeling of loneliness. And and that, and I think that's now kind of living through a pandemic. We're in it still, right? Um, you know, we, we need that. And it's interesting that employers, you know, at least the employers of choice that I get to work with are willing to say, hey, I don't have all the answers here. I understand how important this is. And I'm willing to to engage with with mm. with trying to to transform my culture in a positive way. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're talking about as generous leaders, meaning inclusive leaders, people who are investing in and supporting others. And so, how necessary it is for the cisgender, call it cisgender white males, white females, to be the advocates and the voices for the voiceless. I just think that for all of us to take this very seriously and understand that generous leaders need to take a stand and see how they can be part of the change. So let's talk about why belonging matters at work. Yeah. I, is it okay if I just go back on, on one thing that you said, which yeah, I think is yeah. really, really key, you know, is um, when we think about you know, where we locate ourselves. So for listeners that aren't trans or non-binary or two-spirit or gender expansive, right? So for your cisgender listeners, is 
you know, those everyday acts of allyship, right, is, um, that's really important. Backing up, you know, if you're if you're showing up and you're supportive and you're saying supportive statements is to take those actions. And one of the best ways to do this is you don't have to be an expert, right? You don't have to know everything. One of the things that you could do is act alongside your trans and non-binary colleagues, or you can bring in trans and non-binary folks to, to educate folks inside of your organization to amplify their leadership, to lift them up, right? And to also see, you know, kind of going back to when we were talking about from bathrooms to boardrooms, right, is what would be the value of having established trans and non-binary leaders, you know, at every level of your organization? So when we're in a kind of political and cultural climate like the one that we're in right now, you don't have to look very far to find a, a leader who can help come up with the words that many of us are feeling in our heart. Um, and so I think that that's, that's, a re that's something really important to consider. And maybe for some folks, you know, you might be wondering, well, we don't know any trans or non-binary leaders. That's okay. There's a lot of us that are out there. And if you find, if you want to reach out to me or talk to other people, we know lots of people, you know, to, to add to your pipelines, to diversify them in a true kind of gender diversification of talent pipelines. And it's one area I see a, a lot of opportunity in. Um, and we have a long way to go. Uh, but it's something to add, you know, as you think about your broader diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. Yes, and to think of it as so unique and individualized. And a, a friend that we both have in common is Jennifer Brown, and she talks about this like an iceberg. And some of those social identities mm -hmm. are above the waterline, and they're obvious, and we're willing to share them. And then there's this whole host of things that are beneath the waterline. And what I'm hearing you say, Rhodes, is if you're creating an environment where there's psychological safety and a real attempt to create belonging for all, then that waterline, like the the willingness or the likelihood of people lowering the waterline and letting us know more about their social identity, their sexual identity, their there's their everything about them is greater, right? It's it's like the likelihood of us sharing more yeah. about ourselves is higher. Yes. Yeah. And the reason why, right? Because sometimes people will say, well, is this appropriate to share in the workplace? Well, this is about making connections. It's about building trust and rapport with our colleagues. And it's not so much of kind of mandatory personal shares that feel very vulnerable. It's more about having the agency to choose, right? Having the agency to choose of like, ah, oh, you know, I feel like I'm really making a connection with you, Shannon. You know, I'm going to make a move towards you to share something real about myself because I think that that's going to make our relationship, our working relationship stronger. So it's about agency. It's not about mandatory shares. And I think that's one of the myths, it's one of the myths that pops up in doing this work. And we all have different relationships of how much we want to offer up about ourselves inside of the workplace. And that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think that that's really important to highlight there. It really is important. And even if they didn't feel comfortable sharing their pronouns, just knowing that you are the kind of leader who's willing to do that yeah. opens the door. And then there's that level of like, ah, you know, there's a likelihood that, that I could be seen here. Yes. And that's, 100%. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have shared a couple of the hows already, but just some highlights, some how leaders can, positively impact workplace cultures? Yeah. I mean, the, the first place is do your work, right? Do your work. And you had mentioned self-education. And um, in, in my first book, Belonging at Work, chapter eight kind of goes through 
all of these pieces of what does that actually mean, right? Um, so I think that's the first place to go. So kind of consider the media that you're currently reading. So are you reading books by people that aren't exactly like you? Are you watching movies made by people that aren't exactly like you? Are you listening to podcasts from people that aren't exactly like you? Um, that's such an easy way uh, to to get exposed to different thoughts, different ideas that may challenge you, right? And and will allow you to kind of get a better sense of who you are and how you relate to people across differences. And then when you're thinking about acts of allyship that feel available to you, it will be easier. You know, the the how question won't be so hard because you've got a friend that you're building a relationship with beyond you know trying to understand, right? Like you you like you have a friendship and you can be a little bit more vulnerable in those friendships that don't feel so risky, especially for leaders where all eyes are on you to make a statement, all eyes are on you to do an action. Like if you have a trusted friend or a community group, it'll be a lot easier for you to show up in the workplace of like, okay, like I'm going to trust my intuition. I've got, I've got some good guidance and I'm lifting up other leaders to also kind of come in so that you don't have to speak on behalf of other people. I love that. That's so awesome. I created something recently called the Network Diversity Index, NDI, and it's an, a free self-assessment you can take on my website for that very purpose. Because I think that we protect our own, right? We're, we're much more likely to defend and represent and be an ally, or I, I love the whole accomplice idea, right? Like really putting yourself on the line because someone else is, is being mistreated so thank you for bringing that up. That's huge. So you just briefly mentioned your new book, The Imagine Belonging, Your Leadership Guide to Building an Equitable Workplace. That was just recently released in February 2022. Congratulations on that. So everyone, I will put in the, sh- in the show notes links to Belonging at Work, Imagine Belonging, your Belonging at Work Summit, which is amazing annual summit. Um, and then the Out Entrepreneur, your your podcast. And then you even have a new podcast, Imagine Belonging at Work. Yes. So all of that will be in the show notes. Please, everybody, take a look. And if you're just li- listening to this in audio, just go to rhodesperry.com. Thank you for being you and being such a bright light in the world. I am so deeply grateful. Thank you, Shannon. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Rhodes shared so many valuable nuggets, and I recognize that some of these topics are challenging and may feel uncomfortable. Thank you for sticking with it and pushing yourself to grow. That's the only way that any of us improve. Let's consider how well we lead using the four ingredients of belonging. The first How are we recognizing, rewarding, and honoring all that our talent bring to the workplace, their genius, experiences, and what makes them unique? The second, how well are we enabling others to feel connected? We have authentic and real relationships with our colleagues because we can be ourselves. Number three, psychological safety. We learned about the importance of this so often on ROG. As leaders, we are creating environments where we can have meaningful connections, get the support we need, ask for help, admit mistakes, offer constructive feedback, receive constructive feedback, and we can do all of these things without fear of negative consequences. The final ingredient, pride and purpose. 
We have pride in working with our organization because it aligns with our personal values of who we are. And as Rhodes said in Simpatico, we feel aligned with the bigger vision and mission and the purpose of the organization. So in self-reflection, how well do you model these four ingredients? Number one, recognizing others for their unique talent. Two, enabling real, authentic connection. Three, creating a psychologically safe environment. And four, encouraging pride and purpose. Do some self-reflection and consider which area you are thriving and where you can improve. Three other things that we can do. Number one, intentionally practice using gender-inclusive language. Welcome everyone. Share your pronouns. Demonstrate curiosity and have an open mind about how others identify themselves. Number two, do your work. Self-educate. There are loads of resources in the show notes. Please engage with at least one of them. And finally, number three, keep your heart and mind open. Until we all belong, we'll never truly experience success. Thank you all for being loyal listeners of ROG. Beginning in July after the Pride series, ROG is taking a summer break. We believe in self-care and restoration. I'll be taking time off to recharge and refresh the podcast and the work that we deliver. I'm taking a break from social media too. We'll return on August 30th with a recap of the first half of 2022 and an update on what's ahead for the duration of the year. We will have restored energy and focus on how to be generous leaders. Please join us next week with Amber Hikes. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.